January, you're going to wake up. I'm telling you. It's going like that. Well, you have a holiday. A hall's Call, on Monday. Yeah, yeah. You're going away, by the way. I am going away. That'll be fun. I can't wait. I'll leave it on a jet plane. It, You know, somebody sang that song. Yeah. Don't know when I'll be back, back again. again. Yeah. And actually in the movie Armageddon. I love that. Ben Affleck yeah. sings that to Liv yeah. Tyler. Yeah. If you remember that yeah, scene. Before he's going out. You know, Harry Stamper. He's one of the bravest Harry men. Stamper. One of the bravest men I've ever met. Yeah. It's an honor. It's an honor. Yeah. Um, nobody had that on their friggin' bingo nope. cards. Nope. January 11th, one o'clock yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. Swizzle, Dan, and, and minutes. Carter Braxton. CBW Warren. is joining us from Worth Charting. And it is an interesting day. I know it doesn't appear that way, but let's look at the run. By the way, the Rangers play tonight in St. Louis. I think it's their only trip uh, to that city. Have you ever been to the Arch in St. Louis? No, but you know, I yeah. went in September of 2022 on a Sunday to St. Louis. I went to the arena, wherever it is that the, the Blues uh -huh. play, uh -huh. and I saw Pearl Jam. You didn't see the Blues? No, I saw Pearl Jam. Uh -huh. I went there alone, by the way. That's a song Literally by Blue Alone Jam, on, on a no. <laughs> well, they have one, all these one word yes, songs. So I figured on, on 10, the album 10, yeah. every song is one word except one song. But we can, uh, you guys can put that in the, uh, in the chat and, and maybe we'll uh, have a little bit. Well, we will. So we, wait, we had the rundown, but then we started chit chatting. Well, let's put the so rundown. I happened back to St. Louis. I saw Pearl Jam in September of 2022. Uh, guy, Nostradami has been saying this. I think for almost two years now that inflation was going to be pesky and persistent. Yeah. And that people P, don't use two, two P E words. They're using the persistent word this yeah. morning. They're not using pesky. Either. Well, they should, but your point about the peskiness of it is the cumulative nature yeah. of the inflation readings year over year, even though it is getting closer to the Fed's 2% target, but actually got a little bit further away yeah, from that. Uh, yes, and I think that trend will continue, in my opinion. I am surprised that yields aren't higher than they are, and quite frankly, I'm surprised that the market's not lower than it is. We'll have that conversation. Big bank earnings on deck, and we've talked about JP Morgan. Obviously, we've taken a look at the chart. The level that we just traded up to seemingly have failed at. Goldman Sachs did not trade back to its all-time high. The XLF seems to be wrong over. We'll have that conversation. And Carter Braxton Worth. He's going to chart it for us. He's going to do that. He's going to do the Bitcoin as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, because you got to look at the Bitcoin? Bitcoin. Is there news in the Bitcoin? It you know, I say this as well. Yeah. Um, you know, on last Friday, I just want to point this out. You know, you made that bullish options call when NVIDIA was 490. I only point this out because... You can be bearish. You can have a, you know, whatever view, but within the confines of the market, you're looking for opportunities constantly. Sure. And I don't think that means you think the fundamentals of NVIDIA have improved or not. What you were looking at was the potential for that stock to break out in a meaningful way, regardless of whatever fundamentals are out there, valuation. And that's exactly what's happened. So you're looking for constantly looking for opportunities. Yeah, well, here's another one, right? So like we've been saying this for a couple of weeks and we're going to look at the, the technicals of the Bitcoin with, with Carter, but like just given the move that Bitcoin had, maybe they'll just throw our chart up there or, or, or one year right now, it was getting in front of this Gen 10 date. Everybody had it on their calendar guy, right? Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, so the stock, so the thing had been running into it and, and great. I mean, this is a momentum sort of thing. It has these sorts of rallies, but the trade, you know, in the lead up, in the week 
okay, of the announcement, you know, I, I thought it would have been a sell the news, you know what I mean? But look at what Ethereum has done, mm -hmm. okay? Like that was the trade. So it's kind of interesting, like that kind of first level thinking, you know, if you will, is not always the way to go here, but we'll talk a little bit about that. All right, let's talk about this inflation. Yeah, rating. because we have a fun little picture here and it's interesting because I'm actually one of these, I'm just like this guy, I got yeah, my little basket, like I got my guy. coat on and I'm sort of, you know, going through the aisles and stuff, but they use the word stubborn, which is the same thing as, pe you know, yeah. stubborn, pesky. It's all the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And again, I don't want this to happen, but I think that's what's happening before our very eyes. I mean, the, there's a cumulative effect of inflation, which I think is the sole, not the sole reason, but the majority of the reason when people are polled about the economy, they feel so dour about things. Yeah. I think it's that and that alone. So the administration can say we got inflation. Under no, they don't have it. It's not under control by any stretch. So here we are. We'll see. But what I thought when I saw these numbers, I thought, OK, that's going to push a lot of things out. All these, you know, Fed rate cut mm -hmm. early this year, that's going to be pushed back. And, you know, in some ways, maybe that pushback actually is a bullish thing for the market. I don't know. Quite frankly, I'm not sure what people are rooting for anymore. Yeah, so let's just look at it. The, you know, if we're looking at the expectations for the rate cut, we know that the January 31st meeting, there was no expectations. And, you know, for the March meeting, it really hasn't changed that much given that data. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so it's a bit hotter here. I think there's another thing that's interesting, Guy, though, is that um, the headline this morning is that Alphabet was cutting some jobs. And it wasn't, you know, like, you know, in Amazon, there's been a lot of headlines and some other things. These are like knowledge worker jobs. These are like engineers yeah. and the like. And so when we've talked about where some of the gains have been in the labor force, where some of the wage improvement has been, it's been on like lower end, more blue collar um, sort of jobs. But, you know, if you talk to people, and this is just purely anecdotally, if you were one of those people that were in great demand two years ago, when it seems like every major, you know, technology company was just in a bidding war for engineering talent, um, it's much harder to find jobs right now. Part of that has to do with the fact is that aside from AI, there's a lot of cool cooling out in other parts of it. So there's going to be lots of competing factors. None of them really speak that well, though, Guy, to your point about sentiment towards the economy. And that's something, the push and pull, and we're going to be talking about this for months in the lead up into the election, is that, again, you know, what are some of the, the, the did we have this conversation yesterday on Market Call? It's like, okay, well, with Liz, mm -hmm. in an election year, what are some of the stops that an administration can kind of pull out? And I just don't think by any means that if the inflationary data runs hot, there is no way the administration can put pressure on Fed Chair Powell to cut, right? Like, it's just not going to work that way. I I do not think so. And by the way, we we had this 30-year Treasury auction. I'm just looking down because yeah. I'm trying to see. So 423, I think the bid to cover, which is something that people look at, 2.37 was 2.43 the previous auction. Uh yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I I think people will say this is probably better than expected, which is why I think you're seeing a rally in the TLT and a bit of a rally back here in the broader market. Yeah. I just wanted to throw that yeah, out again. And, I'm just eyeballing and, this. And just to put like a bow on this, normally you would say, okay, well, you'd like to see lower interest rates, right? right. So more easy sort of monetary policy. More demand, yield, right. But exactly. to your point, Guy, if inflation remains the problem and you need to have interest rates higher for longer, because like, again, I, I think if you're like the incumbent president, the incumbent administration, uh, inflation could be a much bigger problem for you at, at the, at the polls. Right? They could say whatever they want in terms, you know, I think 
people know what they're dealing with on the ground. So they can come out, they can parade. And this is all administrations. They can parade people out and say, you know, we have this under control and we're winning the war on inflation. But the reality is for people, they don't feel it that way. They don't see it that way. And they're upset about it, which I totally understand. And you said it's a cumulative effect that not enough people talk about. So it's not that inflation is coming down. It's just going again. It's just going up at a slower rate. And so, and I think that's really important to point out. So this is after, by the way, as we've talked about, an historic rise in rates over a very short period of time. And you would have thought, I think they would have thought they would have this far far more under control than these numbers suggest. But here we are. Let's take a look at the S&P before we bring Carter in real quick, unless you want to bring him no, in. No, no, but here's one one point I want to make. Let's let's do the S&P and then let's bring him in in a second. So I just read a stat this week, though, that I, I guess it's at the widest margin that the least amount of Amer- uh, Americans own the most amount of stocks. Okay. Yeah. So so I was going to kind of thread the needle here, guy, for a second here and say, well, at what point do these polls of voters, right, who are very dour about the economy, at what point does that make its way into the stock market? And if you say to yourself, well, it's institutional ownership and it's ownership by the wealthiest of the 10, you know, 10% of mm-hmm. Americans, like maybe they're not feeling the pinch. They they're don't not. see the difference in, 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 in milk at, you know, in, in meat and, and, you know, gas at the pump and that sort of thing in the same fashion. And so maybe it never works its way into the stock market. That, that's no, what that I'm is kind a, of saying. Listen, like, great point. I'm sure when we bring Carter in, he has some thoughts yeah. on that as well. And you're right. And that's again, why people are so pissed off on the ground because they say to themselves, I know what I'm dealing with. And then on the other side of the coin, they see the rich continue. And this is not me on a soapbox. It just happens to be true. Because to your point, the wealth gap continues to widen in this country. And then these folks look at the stock market and they're trying to reconcile. How can the stock market be doing as well as it is when I'm seeing what I'm seeing here? And it's interesting. Quickly, we had a conversation with Steve Leisman last night just about, you know, into the CPI number and a couple of different things. And I asked him about the unemployment rate and all these revisions we've seen for the last 10 or 11 months. And he said, you know, it's sort of apples to oranges, which I acknowledge in terms of what the revisions mean to payrolls. However, what he was quick to point out, though, the last time we saw revisions of this duration was in 2008, which is sort of the, the road I was trying to lead him down. Not to suggest we're in a, the precipice yeah. of a financial crisis, but we're seeing things now that we saw like in 99, 2000, that we saw in 08, 09, right? That we saw in the early 70s. And it's all happening right before our very eyes. The only thing that's not obviously following through is, is the stock Well, market. I mean, to be fair, in early March, when when uh, Bear Stearns went under and got gobbled up by J.P. Morgan in 2008, I don't think anybody, there's a handful of people, some of our friends over there at Front Point, Danny and his mm-hmm. crew with Eisman and stuff, there are not that many people who thought we were going to be on a full-on financial crisis within a year or so, and the stock market was going to get more than cut in half. I'm not saying that's going to happen right now. I, it does feel like the the powers that be, the Treasury, um, you know, the, the Fed, yeah. uh, it seems like they have a much better like mechanism for dealing with that sort of crisis. And Exhibit A is obviously what happened last March and April with SVB and the like. You know, like, like all of us had PTSD from you know 2008, thinking like this was the start of something, and that never really happened. And some of the kind of easing that they did, despite the fact that they were actually tightening overall as a, a monetary policy, right. really kind of I don't know. It it it, it did what the it liquidity. To do. The, you're right. It's a liquidity, but. 
what and my concerns have been unfounded. I want to be crystal clear. Yeah. But one of my concerns for a long time has been the alchemy that's done around central banks, specifically our Federal Reserve. At a certain point, it's like when you're in earth science back in high school, remember, and you're putting all yeah, that shit in I your remember. beakers and your Bunsen burner. At some point, you're going to put something in that you shouldn't. And things are going to go pear-shaped. And that's exactly, you know, why is just it pushing the guys, buttons? The guys were always trying to do that and to get oh, yeah, a laugh, 100%. to get something to blow well, up. No, because but it's always the girls who were like always pissed they off. Had, at well, the they're the ones that like were in there. Yeah. They had the goggles yeah. on. Uh-huh. But of course, we also had, I'm sorry, Amanda. You had those natural gas spigots yeah. on the that, desk. Those were cool. Now, it was cool. But of course, we would turn them on and, you know, you make them in a oh, blowtorch. Of course you You think about Whatever. I know. But, you know, speaking of that, here's somebody, let's bring him in, who was not wearing his goggles in front of the Bunsen. No, of course And not. he was probably trying to cause some problems. That would be Carter Braxton. Worth <laughs> I got some goggles. goggles. No, I do remember that in that guest. Um, but, I, but guy, when you put stuff in the beaker, it doesn't go pear-shaped. It goes Yeah, no, parabolic. That's, I, that's right. It, it goes mushroom cloud. Boom. Things go yeah. pear-shaped, but the, right, the event is I get it. No, 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 it's very Oppenheimer-like. It creates a little explosion, yeah. Anyway, Carter, talk um, to us a little bit. Like, so as far as the stock market, okay, the S&P 500, okay? So, like, at this point, we just have the, the 10-year yield pinned at 4%, right? And Guy's point was, like, you would have thought, given that hotter um, data this morning, that yields would have been higher, that stocks would have been lower. And stocks are a little bit lower here. Are we at a point right now, and it's not just about the technicals, we're back at the very near those prior highs, where I am hard-pressed to see what's good for stocks. A move higher in yields is obviously not going to be good for stocks, okay? But a yield a yield that starts dropping precipitously will be for not good economic reasons. You know what I mean? Like, And I know we've been talking about this for a while, but it feels like this moment, we're here right now. And I'm just curious your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I would invoke uh, a comment from an important large cap uh, growth manager that known for 25 years, got about 30 billion under management, and he is simply in this camp. As long as we stay sort of five, five and a quarter to three, three and a half, that it's uh-huh. the sweet spot. You've got a Goldilocks scenario, and that you start getting below three and a half. Obviously, it means there is a truly a, a pronounced slowdown coming. Something is wrong on Main Street, recession, or whatever word one chooses, and you start pressing into the high fives or sixes. You have a multiple contraction issue, right? And so we are sitting here just at four percent, and in many ways. It could be like, so what? Um, but, but remember, it's all about the rate of change, right? The extrapolating when we went from four to four and a half to five, that really uh, made people quite nervous. And then in turn, when we sunk so quickly from five to 3.8, all of a sudden, there was a bull run was on October, you know, regional banks ripped 45%, home builders 45%. You get the move you've gotten JP Morgan, of course. And so, mm-hmm. you know, here and now, I look, I'm in the lower rates camp structurally, low, lower dollar, um, lower stock market, uh, lower oil. And and look, it, oil has gone lower. Rates have gone lower, uh, you know, uh, so forth. Uh, but but we're just bouncing around here. And sometimes an instrument, a security, an index really is. That's what a pair of twos is. There is no big bet to be made. I don't suspect any big bets on TLT here make sense uh, because some of the big movement uh, the plunge and then the equally dramatic ricochet uh, has already taken place. Let's take a look at an S&P chart that we drew um, with a very steep uptrend. 
That's the one chart that shows that we basically touched to those. So that now, Carter, I look at this and say, okay, that's our Fugazi chart. But you can make an argument that if you were just to move that green line slightly to the left, you had sure, a breakdown a while ago. You had mm-hmm. then a retracement back up to that uptrend and seemingly now have stalled. So I only bring it up because, as again, you say it all the time. You can draw lines pretty much any way you want. But, you know, we drew it this way, showing the support. But you can look at it another way and say, hey, we broke down a little while ago, traded through it. All we're doing now is trading back up to that uptrend line. Mm-hmm. And then maybe exactly we fail right. here. And then you look at the moving averages, I think, that come into play. Anyway, thoughts on that? Because still, we exactly. have these gaps on the downside. Yeah, I mean, the lines that we've been publishing are the lines that you referred to, which is we you have a very tight uptrend and we broke trend uh, in the beginning of the year. And this recovery is simply taking you back to the underside of the trend line and it's hitting its head. Um, and what we do know, mm-hmm. and there it is, exactly. Oh, what we wait do a know, second. Stop for a second. Who did that? Is that Jacob or Steve? Yeah, I think it's Amanda. Amanda, that's tremendous. On the fly, Listen, Jacob and Steven could also do it. No, no, no. They're also, I, yeah, very, yeah, very talented. Anyway, sorry okay. about that, Carter. Or, yeah, please. And so, yeah, to, to your point, I mean, the question is: Are we breaking this sort of rhino horn? Right, this news-related, macro-related, rates-related spike in all things from the October twenty-seventh low, three-month, very impressive move. Are we in the process of giving back some of it, all of it, uh, or said differently, right here and now, is this a buy, sell, or a hold? And I mean a proper hold, not Wall Street's euphemism for wink, wink, sell. Yeah. I would put it in the sell category. Yeah. And listen, let's just pull, pull back up that five-year chart again, back towards that early Jan 2022 high. Again, let's look at the NDX. It's the same thing. We highlighted this last night, Carter, is that the NDX did pull back to that breakout level um, and then popped back up. But the NDX has that same longer term sort of double toppy sort of formation here. Um, and to me, you know, what you said about yields, I think is very important because I think that if we were to see a move in, in last week, you were detailed it on market call um, that we could see a move to four and a quarter in the S&P or in in the 10 year. And if we don't have Mm S&P earnings like that, people feel confident that they're going to stay put guy or, you know what I mean, or or be able to move higher or not move material lower. Mm -hmm. That's when you start selling stocks, higher yields, lower earnings. You know what I mean? Like what's the price you pay? So to me, that's the whole story. We're going to get a lot more of it. They start tomorrow. We're going to look at the banks um, in a second here. Um, but but again, I just want to flash up the 10-year yield chart for a second, Carter. Um, you know, again, we hear what you just said, but do you think that this thing, is it kind of basing for, like, let's just assume that the data is going to start to come in hotter. Like, I don't really see a scenario where we're, like, on our way back to 3.75 in the 10-year. Right, so a very steep, uh, that same downtrend from mm-hmm. the peak of late October is the same trade for oil, the same trade for the dollar, and they are all having counter trends of sorts. We're in an intermediate downtrend in this day-to-day recovery, week over week, what is it, 10, 12 sessions old, is literally happening in oil, and it's happening in the dollar. Uh, you've seen a similar thing in the yen. And so the point of that, and we did it together exactly two weeks ago, calling for this uh, event, this outcome, was that you get counter trends when you're in a trend and that it should maybe go to 
if you can use the word should, 412 to 415 uh, and hit its head. We got as high as 410. I do think we'll inch higher, uh, but certainly, you know, 420 would be the, the end of it, at which point um, I would then bet that the sequence continues and that rates head lower uh, and the TLT uh, is uh, the exact opposite. Well, and ultimately, Guy, the higher rates stay, the weaker the economy gets, the lower earnings go, the likelihood is that you're going to see yields go lower because of a weakening because the economy's weakening yeah. and then P- and then we get back on the merry-go-round again and yeah. people start buying a high growth high valuation tech stocks and we get right back into this seemingly um endless cycle i don't know something's going to break it at some point we made this fun i mean this is a great little slide big bank earnings check this out carter because we have the implied moves we have the symbols of the company i mean that's a good looking <laughs> that's a good looking graph but here we are on the eve of a number of banks, not least of which I think the granddaddy of them all, J.P. Morgan. So we can talk about the implied moves, Dan, and you can uh, wax poetic. Next week we have some interesting ones after Monday's holiday. But I think, in my opinion, Dan, I, I, I understand that banks are not important in terms of their waiting for the broader. Yeah. I get it. But you can't underestimate their importance in terms of what they mean for the economy and some of the commentary we're going to hear. So you've heard what I've said about J.P. Morgan, Dan, I'm not particularly optimistic, but we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I guess the the, the thing that I'm looking for here with J.P. Morgan, and and we've talked about it again and again on the show over the last few months or so, that Jamie Dimon, despite the fact that had been a huge beneficiary of the regional banking crisis, right, and and the assets that they were able to kind of buy into and the stocks outperformance relative to many of its money center peers, you know, this is one where he's said, you know, time and time again, get ready. When yields were at 3%, he said, get ready for, Mm -hmm. you know, 4 or 5%. Yields got to four. He said, get ready for six or seven, you know, and he's been somewhat downbeat on the economy. So to your point about their weighting in the S&P 500, not particularly impactful, but this is a half a trillion dollar market cap company, JP Morgan, which has outperformed almost all of its peers fairly massively. It's up on a huge spike. So what he has to say will be very interesting to me. Carter, you had a what I thought was an epic call in the fall in the KRE, this is the regional banking index. You caught the move. It had that big run. You got out of it. I think I want to say a month or two after or so. So I'd love to just, we'd love to get your take on where you are in the banks in general. So these are the regional banks, right? Um, But also maybe they can pull up a BKX. And what are some of the things that you're focused on as we get into the meat of bank earnings uh, over the next, call it, you know, four or five trading days? Sure. Well, first, uh, and thank you. You're kind to remember a good one, two good ones back to back. I got my duds. You could take them to the moon and back. But it was a a November 15th call to buy uh, the KRE. You see that second gap. And then there was the reverse call December 15th to, to harvest the trade. And that if you look at the chart, that um, that December fifteenth is really that spike. So the, mm-hmm. the 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 spike there, and it just was a trade because um, a bearish to bullish reversal. You see the smoothing mechanism turning, and you see the first gap in November. The second gap that was the go. That was the signal get in motion, and then harvesting it after those two day that two day spike in December where it was just uh, almost going parabolic on a day to day basis. So the question is this: here and now, we having pulled back. Uh, a lilting sort of flag, if you will. The original book writers in the 40s would call this a pennant and so forth. Do you buy into this or is this actually uh, faltering and has more downside? That's my hunch, although I would basically really prefer to not 
trade it, which is to say, call it a pair of twos and and find something else. But we might have some charts. I don't know. We do. Uh, we can look at we do. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, here. So this is the overshoot, and I've drawn the arrows that way. Again, if one has to be directional, my hunch is that uh, this is the BKX that we fill the gap that's not been filled that we do check back. Now the question is, we're one, we're this to check all the way back to that um, downtrend line above which it surged. Uh, that would be a massive give back. That would mm -hmm. be uh, problematic. Um, and so I think you can give back some of that. Does it have to go to the lower red arrow? If it does, I think you have a meaningfully lower stock market. And the one thing to note is with, while the banks are not that big a weighting, the financial sector is um, is the second biggest or third. I'd have to check which one. They're constantly changing places. But we also know that J.P. Morgan is the 10th largest. In fact, tomorrow we get the 10th and 11th largest stock reporting J.P. Morgan and then United Healthcare, uh, which is uh, you know as big as Lilly. And so there's a lot at stake tomorrow. Before we go to the next chart, Carter, I'm going to play a little Carter Braxtonworth. We had talked about, and I remember doing the KBW, the BKX with you a while back, and we had pointed out the potential for those double bottoms. You had highlighted where you thought it would go in terms of that trend line, that basically a formation that's going to start to correct itself to the upside. However, my question to you, if, for example, this thing gap opens lower tomorrow, which is possible given all the things we just talked about, Understanding that the BKX is not at an all-time high, but it's at a it's at a high for this period of time. I mean, you have a little island reversal potential here, and that line, that downtrend line, is easily in play. If not, if not, those prior double lows. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about almost a ten percent decline or thereabouts to get back to uh, the downtrend line. Um, again, if I one has to play here, my bet is to uh, be short. Um, we did together, of course, the three of us, the J.P. Morgan strangle, uh, and the idea there is that J.P. Morgan is on such a rope up and such a spike that um, the idea would be to try to buy it, you know, nine, ten percent lower, and you might get that on a on a bad print, or to really press a short or get short some seven percent higher. And my own yeah. hunch is that it'll stay within those bands and that one will collect it. Here's, and this is telling, right? This is JP Morgan relative to the BKX index. Now, to be fair, there's a lot of autocorrelation here, which is to say JP Morgan is the biggest weighting in the purple line. So it's comparing it to itself in many ways. But since there are other banks, City, Bank of America, Wells Fargo in the purple line, this really tells the tale of the winner versus everybody else. And we might have a five-year chart of this same thing. And that, and therein is the issue: is can J.P. Morgan um, really diverge this much more, or is it right to be contrarian and actually double back and bet on the laggards? The laggards being the other uh, three big ones: Wells, Bank of America, and City. Um, and here you see them in a comparative chart. Uh, again, my hunch is to be sort of underweight or short the group here, having all of them shot the moon and now giving a slipping. Yeah. And, you know, again, and these are things that you don't care that much about. Um, but, you know, when you think about Wells, you think about Bank America and you think about City, the relative underperformance to J.P. Morgan for the better part of this year was because of these kind of held to maturity, mark to market um, portfolios that they have, which you could check every quarter, which were, you know, having big losses. So the fact of the matter is those stocks were trading at their lows of the year below the SVB lows. Mm -hmm. Right. When the 10 year yield was at. 
5% or so, right? And that was the, the, the divergence between where they bought these bonds, what the yields were, and the risk to them having to actually um, you know, match assets and liabilities, and those would be the losses that were suffered. So here we are with a 10-year back at 4%, and that's why you've had the sort of moves out of those other money centers. Um, you know, Again, so that's just something we're going to watch for. I'm also really curious to hear, um, you know, like what J- Jamie Dimon has to say. And the flip side of that is that like Citigroup has gotten in front of this earnings period. They've talked about realignment. They've mm-hmm. talked about cost cuttings and the like here. So it'll be interesting to see how investors are playing this. Um, because I got to tell you, I really think that that the quarters might be good on those mark-to-market held to maturity balances uh, for the Q4. What they have to say about Q1 here or the balance of 2024 might not be great, guy. All right, listen. You know that I agree with you. I mean, we've had a couple of analysts over the last couple of weeks make some pretty positive calls, specifically on City, thinking it could double over the next couple of years. I don't share that thesis, although I do understand that City trades at like 60% of book value thereabouts. So just to catch up in terms of where it is historically, you could see a $51 stock becoming sort of a $75 to $80 stock. But doubling, I think, is a bit of a stretch. But I think you're right to point out the headwinds that are out there in terms of regulation, tighter credit standards, um, maybe lack of demand, you know, all the headwinds. And again, an economy that I think is slowing down. And oh, by the way, uh, an unemployment rate that I think is going to start to move on the upside and surprise some people. Yeah. So I don't think that's a particularly good environment for the banks to operate in, especially when you're talking about a JP Morgan that recently made it an all time high effectively. And it's trading at multiples in terms of book value that we probably haven't seen in quite some time. So, Carter, here's one. You just mentioned UNH, and you were on Fast Money with us uh, the other night, and you had an acronym. And I remember, I can't remember what the acronym was, but I do remember Stud. that you. Because that, that would be the, the U. Yeah, that, the, oh, look at you paying attention. Cheapest thing you can yeah, do, well. right, guy? Um, that is a beautiful looking chart. You might not like how I kind of fudge the line, that uptrend a little bit with that, you know, sharp decline that we had um, a couple years ago. But again, that chart looks like NVIDIA's chart last week, doesn't it? Like, you know, a, a little bit about the, the long That's range. Why I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so so that this was must, right. yeah, I mean, this ahead. is a conventional juncture, at least uh, as I learned it in the nomenclature that is used in worth charting. Convention is something that's generally agreed upon, right? And so a conventional juncture is a stock, currency, commodity index that's at or just below well-defined tops at a common level, toying with the prospects of breaking out or moving above said tops. And so this is the same. Let's do three for fun, if we can, on the fly. Pull up NVIDIA. Mm-hmm. And uh, just since you mentioned it, and see if we can, we'll draw that flat horizontal line along the top, and on a on a one year chart, or maybe or two, just to make a point, and um, you'll see that that is a breakout, right? I mean that it hits the 150 day to the penny, and you move above those tops. No, do do uh, Nikkei or the EWJ. So it doesn't matter what the security is, the stock. Now, do they always break out? Of course not. Sometimes you buy just before a presumptive breakout and it and it kind of mm-hmm. traps you. Um, but the setups are the same, right? And so if you were to look at um, uh, any of these, uh, I'm not quite sure what that is, but that's all right. Um, my, my hunch is you play for the breakout in yeah. UNH. All right, so so here's what I think is interesting about the UNH, and maybe they can pull that one back up, and they can pull up an options chain here. So this is how we looked at the Nvidia mm-hmm. last week. We just said that um, you know the February you know near the money options just looked really dollar cheap, if you will. So here you look at that UNH. We're trading at like 
539 or so. If I look out to this week, just to tomorrow's expiration, right? And we have that earnings event. The options market is implying about a $13 move. Just do the math on that. That's like less than two and a half percent. Okay. So this is not a stock that moves a whole heck of a lot. But if we look at the February, okay, the February 16th expiration, let's look at the 540 call. Those are offered at a little below $14. Okay. So that's basically, again, about two and a half percent is what you would be risking if you thought over the next month and change that this stock could break out. And, and again, you got to look at the probabilities of that outcome, right? Right now, the delta on that is about a um, 50 50 sort of shot. So you're risking on a 50 50 chance, you're risking $14 or about two and a half percent if you wanted to define your risk um, and play it that way. So that's how we kind of think about these things. We think about the probabilities, we think about how much you're risking of the underlying. And if you can look at Carter's charts and you like the technical setup, and maybe you have some macro inputs about where you think the market's going to go and where one of the largest okay, components of the stock market is. And then you say, all right, maybe I want to define my risk. That's how we think a little bit about constructing trades. And you look at the technicals, right? Yeah. We, we've talked about the fundamentals and you layer on, okay, what is the, what's going to be the impetus, right? Yeah. What's the news peg that it comes in the form of earnings? So you have all these things and you, sometimes you look at things and there's nothing there. As I've said a number of times, you know, Carter looks at hundreds, if not thousands of charts a lot of these charts say nothing at all. Yeah. And then every once in a while you stumble upon something, hey, this is sort of interesting. Let's drill down a little bit. Okay, it's a little more interesting. They report earnings. You know, what are the end? Yeah. And that's how you come to these things. It requires a lot of work, though. And yeah. we're fortunate that we have Carter to do it with us, but you obviously do it as well. And that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to bring opportunities to the forefront uh, that we see and hopefully a lot more yeah. right more than we're wrong. That, that, what I love about our little team here, and we've been doing this for a long time on, on fast money and on options action is that we all have different things that we think is our expertise. If you will, obviously Carter, you've de dedicated 30 years of your life um, to technical analysis. And I think you've forgotten more about technical analysis than 99% mm -hmm. of market participants will ever know. Um, but to me, I find it an invaluable input. Um, and I'll just leave it there. All right, Carter, before we get out of here, um, this Bitcoin news, we've been talking about Bitcoin. It's a, a risk asset that you actually like to look at partially because a lot of, you know, your customers, your, you know, the folks that you engage with, um, whether it be in the, in the business or in financial media, um, they've deemed it to be a risk asset worthwhile here, you know, nearing $1 trillion um, in market cap. Talk to us a little bit, this ETF, the spot ETF gets approved. Um, it's down a little bit on that. But as we mentioned earlier in the show, Ethereum is rallying off of that because that's the one next that a lot of folks think is going to be approved. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the Bitcoin charts here. Yeah, I mean, obviously a great winner over the past 12 months, and we can look at the chart. The question is, has it reached a level um, where uh, reducing, pulling in one's horns uh, makes sense? Uh, I, I think that's the case. So here you have... Uh, to your chart of Bitcoin, and you see that we're back to a former high. But if you draw the the channel in which it's been ascending, let's flash that on and off just for fun. I mean, kind of fits. And I didn't manipulate it, right? Those are parallel lines; they're mathematically parallel. Let's put in some arrows. And so I've drawn a red arrow. I just, you know, it doesn't have to sink here. Does have to drop? No, but but why not trim if you're long? Mm -hmm. And with new money, 
if 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 the news there is the that you know that long-standing idiom by the rumors sell the news so to speak if the news is out um, what is the catalyst day today and so my thinking is as depicted by the red arrow uh trim if you're long and with new money day to day i'd rather be short than long price action today is going to be fat i mean it's interesting that I've always had trouble with this. I'm not, again, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture, but what I'll say is, you know, the networks will flash if Bitcoin's up $1,700 today, but this is something that trades 24 seven. So if Bitcoin is trading 46,000, it should be up 46. It, it never stops. Yeah. What is it up from? With all that said, if today, in fact, we make that high and roll over like we're doing right now, that's obviously not a particularly encouraging sign, especially within the confines of this channel that Carter just drew. So they're clearly participants taking money off the table into this move. Just something to keep up being. Yeah, mind and of. the flip side of it is, is that folks are going to start gaming. How much is BlackRock? How much is Fidelity? How much are all yep. these large institutions? They're going to have spot Bitcoin ETFs. How much of it do they have to actually buy to put in those things? And we're just not going to know because of the demand. And I just want to flash up this Coinbase chart up um, really quickly. So obviously, over the last you know call it few months or so, it's had that move um, with Bitcoin. Okay, so Bitcoin's doubled in that time period. This this was up at its high is a lot more than double. And again, this is a profitable company. They've been doing the right things. They've been actually trying to work within the regulations as it relates to, mm -hmm. you know, that's so like, you know, here, here you go. We've had this pullback from what 185 to where um, the stock is right now. It seems fairly precipitous, but not considering how much it went up in such a short period of time. Carter thoughts here, because my take is, is that if you are inclined to buy Bitcoin, let's say you're an individual investor, or maybe you're a smaller institution or whatever, you've been buying spot, you want to use the most regulated sort of institutions. We know that we saw FTX go poof and Binance go away and a lot of the stuff in around that. And Coinbase seems to be operating within a whole heck of a lot of transparency and with like the rules that the way they're laid out. But I got to think that there's going to be lots of competition for them now because you could buy it in your IRA, you know what I mean? Through Fidelity and, 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 and not have to worry about having a crypto wallet at Coinbase, you know, like all this sort of stuff. What do you think of this? And I'm not asking you on the, on the fundamentals of the company. What do you think of this chart right here? Well, just like anything that gets two swings too far in one direction, down or up, you typically have some sort of counter trend move up or down. Uh, what, 70 to one, 180, uh, more than a double, steep, uncorrected, and here comes the correction. And uh, there is no way to know uh, how far the correction, how much lower it will uh, go, but I think lower. So if at any given moment one has to make a judgment, buy, sell, or hold. I'm a seller here. This this time last year, and if if Stephen and or Jacob could pull up a longer term chart, when I say longer, go back to 2021. And we actually talked about this on Fast Money last night. One of the comments that I made was, first of all, Coinbase went again in a year went from thirty something dollars up to about a hundred, and I want to say one eighty five or so. But look at where we stopped. We stopped basically at that March high when we rolled up April March April of 2022 when the stock took a precipitous drop. So we traded back to a prior high and seemingly failed. I'll say this as well. I'm not convinced, and today bears that out. The knee-jerk reaction was Coinbase was $161 stock. It's given the entire thing plus a, a lot more back today. And I'm not convinced that news was particularly bullish for Coinbase. I think the run-up made sense. I think the sell-off makes sense. And then one has to ask themselves, Right, where does this thing get down to? And it could absolutely get back down 
to the moving average. So I think people will be, I think, you know, you'd be surprised at how much you can get back. I wouldn't be shocked to see this thing back sort of like between 105 and 110. Yeah, and so the bear case before even ETFs was that, you know, there was going to be lots of pressure on pricing, the bid ask, you know, the, the, the commission levels and, and the like here. And I can't see that changing anytime soon, especially with the competition to be able to put, um, you know, Bitcoin into a, a spot uh, ETF and own it in any sort of account that you want. So to me, that'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. All right, Carter Braxton. We're, We've we, taken enough of his yes. time. He's in parts unknown. Wherever you are is beautiful. I would have a raging fire behind me, but that's yeah, just that's me. Right. I want to thank to the it. great Carter Braxton Worth. Thank the audience always. Our crack staff here at RRM, that's Risk Reversal the Media, media. Yeah, see what you which seemingly there. grows by the day, which is lovely. Um, and thank the audience. I want to point out, tomorrow's Friday. Yeah, You won't see us on Market Call, but you might be seeing us soon on Fridays. Monday is a holiday. Halls. Halls. You won't be seeing us Monday. Nope. Dan is going, you're going to the United Kingdom. I, I am going to, you're going a to a stock match. A what? football match, soccer game. Okay. Football match, Chelsea football club, CFC yeah. playing Fulham. They call it a London Derby. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be excellent. I call it things. Too. Hey, listen, that's, and listen, Noman, that's more Noman. Hey, but you know where you can probably find us over the weekend while we're not doing I, the market I, call Instagram. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're blowing up on Instagram. I got my hair cut. I don't know if you guys noticed this this morning. It looks pretty uh, dope, a, right? I got my, my barber, Eddie, who's the man. Okay. He said to me, he said, Hey, something weird happened. He had his hands in my hair. You know, he said to me, you know, your partner guy, he follows you on the Instagram. Oh, yeah, he yeah. follows us. The true barbers, great, great barbershop here um, in Flatiron in New York, uh, New York City. City, but he said that somebody got slid into his DMs thinking it was you. Yeah, I pointed that wasn't. out. Uh, somebody. So you are guy.adami. Let's flash that up. You're guy.adami on the Instagram. Nobody else. That's it. Guy.adami. That's the guy. Somebody's Adami hacked into that shit. Yeah. Well, no, they're just trying to fake you. And then we're at risk social media. And they're then I to... am Dan S. Nathan. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth Young's on the Instagram. Yeah, too. yeah. So follow us. We got a lot of content we we're should putting get, on we there. We should get Carter on the That's ground. We should get that on shit would well, actually, his charts crazy. would do great on nuts. Instagram because it's a visual medium. What is? Yeah, the Instagram. Oh, you look at things. Yeah, you look like at pictures. Things. All right, that's it, guys. That's it. Right. Rangers play tonight in St. Louis. Time to write the freaking ship. Let's do it. See you Tuesday. All right, see you, everyone. Thanks. Uh,